Howdy, howdy, howdy. Welcome to it. It is the Michael Duke Show broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator and around the world at MichaelDukeShow.com. Hi, how are you? <laughs> you ready for another Monday morning? Yeah, uh-huh. It's Monday. Can you tell? Already my day is just... I mean, went to warm up the car. Next thing you know, there's antifreeze all over the ground. I don't know what to say to that. I don't know what to say. Other than it's Monday. Oh, baby. Welcome back to the program, and thanks for coming in and joining us. Okay, so what do we got lined up for today? Well, we're going to be diving into it uh, with all the uh, good stuff as far as headlines. Things you may have missed over the weekend. Yes, we're going to talk about the Freedom Rally. Yes, we're going to talk about um, uh, we're going to talk about the uh, uh, Oath Keepers uh, investigation. I guess hearings is something they're going to talk about. We'll talk about uh, closure schools in Fairbanks. We'll talk about a lot of stuff here in hour one. All the various stuff that's fit to print uh, from the various uh, outlets around the uh, state of Alaska. And then uh, in hour two, we're going to dive into it with uh, Vance Jin, who is a PhD and an economist. He's going to be talking with us about the Alaska Policy Forum's new um, uh, releasing of its second annual Responsible Alaska Budgets. Responsible Alaska Budgets is going to be the uh, discussion and the topic point. Now, Vance Jin serves as the Associate Director for Economic Policy. Excuse me, he's the Chief Economist at the Texas Public Policy Forum, but he also served previously as the Associate Director for Economic Policy in the Office of Management and Budget in the White House during the Trump administration as well. So he's going to give us some, uh, he's going to give us some, uh, uh, some discussions on this and some thoughts and topics, and we're going to go through all this stuff. So uh, that's all going to be in hour two of the program today. And so that's uh, that's where we're gonna where we're gonna go. We're also going to um, we're also going to uh, uh, jump into it with your phone calls if you would like to be part of it this morning. At some point, especially in hour one, we will uh, take your calls and see what it is that you want to talk about. Uh, if you want to address any of the topics that we are getting into or are talking about, there, we'd love to hear what you have to say. So uh, we're going to open up the phone lines here in just a little bit and get started uh, there to begin with. So first and foremost, I guess uh, we should talk about this um, this rally. Oof, man. Hundred, hundreds, I guess hundreds of people, more than a hundred trucks um, of various sizes, both uh, full-on, you know, full truckers and and uh, and their big rigs and a bunch of vehicles uh, with private drivers and everybody else showed up across the state. It happened in Fairbanks. 
It happened uh, on Sunday uh, in Anchorage. They filled the parking lot of the Cabela's down there in South Anchorage before they took their leisurely drive from there to uh, the Eagle River Lions Club. And then out in the Matsu, there was another batch of folks that took off from the Matsu to then head into Eagle River as well. And this was all to bring awareness to what was happening, what is happening uh, over in Canada. Um, Of course, they've got a lot of stuff happening down there. The protests in Ottawa are still in full swing. And this was a way to bring attention to that for people. Uh, At one point, the, the, um, what did they say? At one point, the line of people or the line of, uh, line of trucks went all the way from down on, apparently down on C Street, all the way out to, I guess, the Eagle River exit or something. I mean, this is huge. This is a, this is a big, big deal. And so it is, um, it's good to see people coming out and pushing on this. Now, the whole point of the mandate again, excuse me, a whole point of the uh, of the uh, protest was to bring awareness to the COVID mandates that uh, are affecting truckers who are you know who have been essential in shuttling goods and services or goods basically back and forth across the Canadian border with the U.S. And um, the U.S. decided to require vaccinations for essential non-resident travelers, meaning Canadian truck drivers. And then Canada, in its own turn, retaliated and um, and put in their own mandate in place, which actually went into effect ahead of the U.S. mandate. And so now you've got truckers who can't go back and forth across the borders um, with the, with the goods and services that are so necessary. Uh, across the country. And so, I mean, they had a convoy. I, it was thousands, thousands of people, hundreds and hundreds of trucks uh, going down into Ottawa. And it has, uh, well, let's just say it's raised awareness. If nothing else, it has definitely raised awareness. Uh, but also we've seen all kinds of, uh, we've seen all kinds of, uh, of uh, craziness that's been thrown out about it. Um, the, one of the, uh, I think it was, was it Trudeau or somebody, I think maybe it was Trudeau who actually said something about, oh, this is just, uh, this is about race and sup- white supremacy and all this. I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know how they can continue to say it's like anything that they don't like. They immediately throw the, throw the white supremacist race card at it. Um, and it is. It is just crazy. It got so bad, in fact. Um, well, I'll talk about that in a second. So anyway, the truckers uh, are out there doing their thing This to, again, raise awareness for what's going on uh, and to raise money for truckers who are not working as they continue their protest in Ottawa. Um, on Sunday, Ottawa, as of Sunday, rather, is under a state of emergency declared by the local mayor who said that uh, the protests there pose, quote, a serious danger and threat in safety and security of the residents. Which, uh, what? I mean, they're, I mean, yeah, they're protesting. But I didn't see anybody throwing those kind of state emergencies around when the cities were burning uh, for the BLM protests and everything else. I mean, they just didn't do it. 
He declared the state of emergency on Sunday. And uh, then a U.S. ambassador to Canada said, a former U.S. ambassador to Canada said that uh, groups in the U.S. must stop interfering in the domestic affairs of Canada. Mayor Jim Watson said the declaration highlights the need for support from other jurisdictions and levels of government. Thousands of protesters descended on Ottawa again on the weekend, join, uh, joining 100 who remained since last weekend. They, uh, residents of Ottawa are furious at the nonstop blaring of horns, the traffic disruption, the harassment, and fear. No end is in sight after the police chief called it a siege that he could not. I love this terminology. <laughs> I love this. I love this terminology. Uh, the, uh, the GoFundMe site, by the way, had collected millions of dollars, about $10 million last time I saw it. Uh, GoFundMe had correct, collected that much for fuel and food and lodging for all of these protesters. And then GoFundMe, they suspended the, uh, they suspended the, the GoFundMe campaign. Said, oh, it doesn't, um, um, it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't comply with our community standards. Which. <laughs> Great. They've already said that they're going to be issuing refunds to all. They cut off all the funding because it determined the effort violated the site's terms of service due to unlawful activity. Um, okay. So anyway, uh, this is it's been a huge deal. It's been an absolutely huge deal all over. If you've been watching the news at all, you've seen um uh you know, you've seen this, uh, you've seen this come about. People are um, are are not um, are not happy, and I mean I'm not just talking about the residents of Ottawa. I'm sure they're probably unhappy with what's going on, but people are frustrated, and they're fearful, and their livelihoods are being interrupted. Their livelihoods are I mean these truckers their livelihoods are at risk, and. The uh, and and you know, I guess nobody seemed to care, so now maybe somebody's caring. And of course, there's been protests across the United States in support of um, of the Canadian truckers' uh, cause, and uh, they've actually got uh, they've actually been raising funds from across the state in other ways as well. So, this was just another way to help that to raise awareness of it and to raise some money for the Canadian truckers uh, as they go through. And good for them, good for them. But, you know, of course, as I was just saying, many times somebody sees something that they don't like or something that they don't agree with, it seems like they immediately throw the racist card. Now, there was reports of uh, a few, I don't know what you'd call them, agitators maybe, that threw up some stuff. There was uh, a few things, but the vast majority of this has been peaceful and calm and just mainstream people kind of, um, kind of, uh, uh, you know, protesting this. That's been the whole thing. Well, now, um, <laughs> the Anchorage Assembly has been asked by a Democratic official to uh, condemn. I, I don't think they can. I don't think they can uh, shun her or, you know, censure her or do anything else, but to condemn Jamie Allard because she shared a poster for the Alaska Freedom Con uh, uh, Convoy. Um, an Anchorage resident who has a communications post with the Democratic Party has asked the Anchorage Assembly to take action because she supports 
the trucker's convoy in Anchorage, basically stating that it was all part of the um, that was all part of white supremacists, Holocaust deniers, and racists. That's what he says. It appears that member Allard, according to the attached flyer, has organized a truck convoy at the start of Black History Month, no less, to raise money in support of the illegal occupation of Ottawa, the Canada capital of Canada, by white supremacists, Holocaust deniers, and racists. Now, again, how many times this Leon James guy may have, uh, you know, uh, uh, complained or asked uh, different bi- branches to call out against the Occupy Wall Street crowd or the... Uh, you know, the safe zone there in uh, um, in Seattle, right? I mean, the the whole uh, that, that, that when that's illegal, that's OK, because they're just the, but this is white supremacists and Holocaust deniers and racists. The Canadian Parliament's Black Caucus is uh, is the one that said that originally he's quoting them. They said the Freedom Convoy across Canada over recent days was, quote, an opportunity for white supremacists and others with extreme and disturbing views to parade their odious views in public. This is unacceptable. These displays of hatred and violence offend Canadians and have no place in our country. Uh, I mean, I just, I just don't even, I just don't even, how, how do you, you can't even have a discussion with people like this when their first reaction is to basically say, you're a racist. You're a racist and a misogynist and a misandrist and a... Everything is. How can you even have a conversation at that point? I mean, it's just like they just don't even have any. I I just I don't even know. But congratulations to all of you who went out there and participated in that. Looked like you had a lot of good fellow folks out there. We're going to continue here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show continues we got some more headlines to hit on, and then we're going to take some phone calls. We'll be back with more here in just a moment on your own for Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Um... They are afraid to have a conversation because they have no legitimate point, so it's easier to deflect. I mean, that's really a lot of it, isn't it? Easier to stop the whole conversation. Um, easier to just stop the whole conversation by calling everybody in sight a racist or a white supremacist or something. Um, let's see. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Big howdy. Um... Not sure if it's true, but there have been stories floating around that Trudeau is hiding out somewhere in our country waiting for this to blow over. Uh, He did flee the Capitol and uh, has really not been seen or heard from since. Uh, uh, Let's see. Why do we even care about COVID anymore? Seriously, let's form policy and blow up society for 1% of the population. Great idea. 
I'm always impressed with the condition of a certain paving company's truck, says Brian. Okay. How many Target stores have burned? They only pose a threat to tyrannical rules, says Marcy. Um, let's look at this like educated adults. The vaccine is a therapeutic that offers no protection from actually catching COVID. So that means we're all possible carriers no matter what. So if people don't want to get a jab, they literally only affect themselves. Why are we using COVID to destroy the freedom in this country? I mean, they've said that since the very beginning. And I mean, I've been very clear to point that out, that even in the early stages, they said very I mean, this does not stop you from getting it, does not stop you from spreading it. It is to lessen the symptoms of the virus. And if that's what you want, then hallelujah, get it done. Go get it. Go, go get it. Go get however many shots you need. Go get it. But to act like it is the end-all, be-all, and now that you've got it and you can't get I mean, it's just not true. We all know that. But, um, yeah, it's it's just, wow. Um, Canadian police have taken fuel and propane from the trucker convoy. Well, it, I mean, it's Canada. They don't have the same... Uh, uh, they don't have the same, uh, you know, rights and rules and everything else that we have here. Uh, it's very possible that that's happened. I know I saw a video of gals like they had, like she counted like 27 Royal Canadian Mounted Police vehicles headed towards the border the other day to get something done, apparently, to because, you know, they're 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 not only are they occupying Ottawa, they're 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 like clogging the border and everything else. And hey, it it that's. Whatever it takes, I guess. But there's going to come a point where the average person is just going to, you know, throw their hands up in the air and say, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. And they're going to be frustrated and they're going to do whatever they can do to get it done. Um, but anyway, I just love this whole white supremacist, Holocaust deniers and racists. Because, again, that's that's how that, that it must be that. It can't be anything else. It must be that. Oh, man. What are you going to do? Anyway, how was your guys' weekend? How was, how was it? Man, it was great for me until this morning, like I said. And uh, went to start the car and uh, warm it up a little bit so I could get ready to go to work after the show. And uh, started spitting antifreeze out all over the ground. I don't know, man. It's just like I hit that magic number, and all of a sudden, everything is breaking in the car. I mean, just everything. <sighs> all right. If it pleases the crown, let them truckers roll. <laughs> if it pleases the crown, I'm sorry, Your Majesty. If it pleases the crown, I would please like to exercise what little freedom I have left. Thank you, Your, your Majesty. Um. <laughs> get the shot if you want to do a little meth fentanyl play some Russian roulette while you're at it. the shots are killing children learn the thing hey Rusty again people should be free to do what they want to do I fully believe that fully believe they should be able to do what they want to do as long as they're not hurting anybody else none of my business as far as that goes alright uh, we're going to jump back into it here please like and share this video if you're on Facebook make sure you like and follow the show page also, head on over to YouTube and subscribe and ring the bell there because I almost couldn't get Facebook to start this morning. You ready to go? Let's do it.
cello. Uh, all right. <laughs> well, so that was the big, I mean, that was really the big story um, going on for the weekend. I mean, wow. What a big deal. All those truckers and everybody else out there. So congratulations to you guys. I mean, pat yourselves on the back. You guys did a great job. Uh, it was even so big that the ADN actually had to cover it, which, I mean, that's surprising. But, uh, yeah, they, they even they covered it, which was pretty uh, pretty impressive when it was all said and done. Um, let me tell you what else they covered. Uh, this finally, I mean, this finally came out on Sunday. Um, Musrood, Alaska had a story up about this on um, – had a story up about this on what Thursday or Friday? Isn't that when we talked about it first? Must have been Thursday. Uh, the must read had the story about this uh, about all these uh, documents that had been requested by a local anesthesiologist uh, named Russell Biggs, who had been asking for information about uh, you know some of the correspondence that the assembly had been uh, uh, had been doing with somebody named Tom, what was his name again? Uh, T- Tom Sconce. Tom Sconce. And um, this whole thing had, cre- I mean, they, they, they had, uh, he'd asked for a bunch of stuff. He got over, he got two, he got it in two batches. He got the FOIA request release in two batches. And one batch had 594 pages that were basically completely blank. They'd been redacted by the assembly. And that included, I mean, dates and names and twos and froms and everything else. And, of course, uh, they they gave a reason. They said, oh, it's all attorney-client privilege or, or you know, um, a process privilege. Uh, neither, you know, the process privilege part is not covered by the Alaska Supreme Court on FOIA release, the 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 current laws and statutes. But they went ahead and held another meeting on it. Uh, after, by the way, I found it interesting. The Anchorage of uh, the uh, uh, Anchorage Daily News finally put a story out on this yesterday. Um. They initially had put together that they were going to have this special meeting on it, and Biggs, who was the, again, the respondent to this, was given 14 hours notice that the meeting was going to occur. He's traveling. He was outside. He could not get back. Uh, Now, he'd waited months for these FOIA requests. I mean, the first batch came out in like, I don't know, what was it, April? Um, Or no, uh, the first one came out, I guess, in May, and then the second one didn't come out until this last December. And now they're like, oh, no, you got 14 hours to get here to have this meeting. We're going to do it. Uh, John Weddleton, who is the mo- probably the middle of the road, I would say he's a moderate member of the assembly. He pushed to postpone the, le- later, uh, the meeting to a later time so that Biggs, again, who was traveling and had only received a 14-hour notice, could be president, uh, present, but he was voted down. So then they held an executive session. And Weddleton uh, made a motion to keep the executive session sealed, meaning those things couldn't be requested for FOIA, uh, only until three months after the appeals period ends. But that failed as well. No, no, they want to keep it all on the down low. This is one of the reasons, by the way, uh, by the way, that Weddleton and Jamie Allard both stepped out rather than vote. Weddleton said it was 
just confusing the way that it was the way that it was written. Um, Weddleton said he left the room because the motion to keep most of the records redacted was worded in a confusing way. He said the way the motion was phrased, it was not a yes or no question. And he said he's not sure what the city's lawyer will do now with the records and Biggs appeal due to the confusing, na- uh, confusing nature of the motion. Uh, Biggs, for his part, uh, in a Facebook page post, apparently said uh, uh, it's unclear whether or not that he will receive any further records. He says it's highly likely that he's going to take this fight all the way up to the Superior Court and see what happens. Um, One of the interesting things about this that I noticed is not mentioned in the ADN article, but is mentioned in the Must Read article, is that many of the documents that they're claiming attorney-client privilege on um, are correspondence with an attorney that is an advocacy attorney that is not licensed to practice law in the state of Alaska and does not have a letter of engagement or a contract with the assembly. That Which, again, would raise some serious questions as to how, I mean, how do you, how do you say it's attorney-client? He's not licensed to practice law in the state of Alaska. So you go back to this whole thing, and it's just, I mean, it's like they want to keep everything quiet. Well, we can't do that. We, we just, you know, we just can't. you can't have all this information. You know, when transparency in government, when the transparency goes, that should be the first sign that something is seriously wrong. When you lose the transparency in government, that's when things go, I mean, that is when things could be going south. Now, I served as an assembly member, and I was reminded uh, several times over my tenure as an assembly member by the municipal clerk, (sighs) Mona, who is, she's just, God bless her soul, she was so amazing, that um, anything that was said over email was subject to a FOIA request. Even emails amongst assembly members and other members of staff and everything else were subject to FOIA requests. Only specific questions could be outlined and laid out uh, uh, and, and I guess basically redacted for attorney-client privileges. And that was only for things that the, the borough was basically facing under legal challenge at the time. And so... To find out that 590 pages were just blacked out, I mean, just basically blank pages, is, well, it's insane. It is insane. And again, to find out that the attorney that they're claiming attorney-client privilege on is doing so even though they are not licensed to practice law in the state of Alaska, I mean, that raises a question. Does somebody file a bar, um, a a complaint with the Alaskan bar that they are engaging in attorney-client, that they're engaging in in practicing? I mean, if it's an attorney-client privilege, then that would uh, that would basically insinuate that they are offering legal advice to their clients in the state of Alaska, even though they're not licensed to practice law here. So maybe that should trigger a, uh, a a complaint, a formal complaint to the Alaska Bar. I mean, don't they work pretty hard to protect and 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 uh, you know guard their deal? I mean that 
that's that's some crazy stuff. So anyway, this story is still going on, and I don't think it's over. I'll be honest with you. I don't think it's over. Uh, Biggs has got enough support, uh, both from himself and, uh, you know, for, he's, he's got the, he's got the, the pocketbook. And of course he's got the support of, I think a lot of the save Anchorage groups. He's one of the administrators on the save Anchorage Facebook page. Um, I think he could raise enough funds to take this all the way up to the Alaska Supreme court if necessary. Not that that would necessarily do any good. Um, but uh, because, you know, the, this this Supreme Court is the state Supreme Court, not necessarily friendly to open and transparent and, you know, by the people for the people kind of stuff, you know. Uh, all right. Um, I'm sorry. Is there somebody so here? Get the shot if you want. Uh, somebody in the chat, Rusty in the chat room just told me that when you tell people to get the shot if you want, you're failing your audience. Um, Look, uh, dude, I, I don't know you, Rusty. I don't, I mean, but let me just say this. People should be able to do what they want to do. As long as it's not hurting anybody but them, I don't care. That, I mean, that that is kind of the essence of my libertarianism. Don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. Don't tell people what to do. They're adults. They should be able to figure it out. As long as they're not hurting or infringing on anybody else's rights, they go for it. If they want to go play in traffic, if they want to drink uh, bleach or Drano, I mean that's again that's totally that's totally on them. If they want to get the shot, get the shot. That is totally their choice. I am not anti-vaccine. I am anti-mandate. People can make their own decisions. So that's just how it is. I'm not doing my. I'm not failing my audience. I'm giving them the opportunity to do whatever they want. Um, all right. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and. Oh, let's see. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and open up the phone lines. I'm going to do that right now. And we'll take the we'll take the next segment. We'll take some phone calls and see what you guys have to say on the Pivotel call-in line at 433-3150, 433-3150. You can give us a call and see what uh uh and, you know, sound off on any of the things that we've talked about this morning, any of the things that you want to uh shout about. And it's all courtesy of our friends over there at Pivotel and Satellite West. I want to tell you, uh, if you do a lot of traveling, if you do a lot of hiking and biking and snow machining and hunting and fishing and, well, pretty much anything out there that has to do with the outside, uh, you may want to take a look at getting a Pivotel satellite phone. I mean, that's the full meal deal, right? You can do everything, talk, text, the whole shooting match. And you could do it. For as little as $65 a month, you can get yourself a, a, a Pivotel satellite phone plan that gets you free incoming calls, an Alaska-based number, and the most feature-rich satellite telephone that you could possibly want. They got 24-7 customer support. If you could see the sky, you can get connected. Uh, if you get the $65 a month plan uh, or more, $65 a month plan or more, you also get $30 of that plan goes towards your outgoing calls and texts, even though you're getting free incoming calls and texts, and you have that peace of mind. I mean, no matter where you are, you can see the sky, you can reach out and talk to your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, people you care and don't care about, or they can call you. So if you're out snow machining way back in the hills where there's no cell signal and you need something, you can call. If they need you, it's your day off work, you're playing hooky. 
Well, I don't know why you'd want to have to be in, but maybe you do. Maybe you want to be in contact out there. That Pivotel satellite phone is good for you. I mean, like we've said, best thing to do is just say, call when you're at hunting camp and you run out of bacon. You just call back to the next guy who's on his way out and tell him to bring more bacon. A Pivotel satellite phone gives you the one thing that you need, and that is peace of mind. To find out more about Pivotel satellite phones, go over and see your friends over there in Fairbanks at Arctic Fire and Safety, in at, uh, uh, at Lundy Marine Electronics in Dutch Harbor, Radar Alaska in Kodiak, uh, South Central Radar on the Spit in Homer, Communications North in Seward, and in Wasilla, Anchorage, or Soldotna, you can stop by any safe and sound location. So there you go. That's that's where you do it. Uh, all right, we're coming up on the break. I got one line on hold. Caller, don't go anywhere. You're going to be first up in the queue, but I need to take a break. So we're going to come back to that here in uh, just a moment, and we will continue. It is the Michael Duke Show. Broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator. And around the world at MichaelDukeShow.com on the internet. Back with more right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, caller on hold. Let's go over there real quick and get their name and where they're calling from, and we will get them set up for the return to radio. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? This is G-Man calling from Fairbanks. All right, my friend. You hold the line. You will be first up in the queue for discussions on this. Okay. Uh, Tuckerman says, seriously wrong. Perfectly describes the left-wing fanatics running the Anchorage Assembly. Anchorage has a chance to replace Dunbar and with Stephanie Taylor, Zalatel with Kathleen Hensley, Weddleton with Randy Sult. Sult? Sulte? Sult? The West Anchorage left us with Liz Vasquez. This is the hour to rise up. Well, I hope so. I hope so, Tuckerman. I hope something's going to change. We've got five assembly seats up, and it sure would be nice to see some changes in there. Um, because the more I watch this, the more that this is, I mean, this is just a total poo parade. Ugh. All right, uh, Anthony says, so he can use, oh, this is in response to Rusty, so he can use abundance medical research from both pro and non-vaccine-friendly sources to form a libertarian-based opinion or random statements with no context or sources cited. Let's think about that for a second. I mean, again, I, I'm, that's exactly it. I mean, many of my libertarian friends are very much pro-vaccine. Many are very anti-vaccine. I, for one, am... And not anti-vaccine is that they just don't want to be mandated on this one. I, for one, am just like, people can make their own decisions. We are adults. Why is that so hard to, why is that so hard to, to think about and, and memorize in that regard? You know, if you want to put something in your body that may not be good for you, that's on you. Right? That's your choice. You made the decision. Whether it's food or booze or drugs or vaccines you can make that decision. Why is that so hard for people to understand? 
I mean, there are definite reasons why I'm not interested in getting vaccinated. But that's not going to stop me from telling you, you are 100%, you go. If you want to do it, that's what you need to do. But again, you make your own choices. If the government is pushing it, says Christine, I'm pushing back. Well, good for you. Absolutely good for you. If somebody asked me my opinion and said, should I get the vaccine? I would say, well, I probably wouldn't. And I would list my reasons. I said, but the choice is yours. The choice is yours. Not mine. I don't have to live with the consequences one way or the other. I only have to live with my own. So trying to shame somebody into taking your stance is just, you know. So next time there's a food product out there that's tainted and killing people, we can't expect to hear about it on your show, right? Russell, you can hear about it on my show, and I'll tell people you could eat it or you couldn't eat it. It's up to you. If there's a chance that you could die from eating it, I'll tell you. You know, there's a chance. And then I'll tell you whether or not I want to eat it. Maybe I'd like to, maybe I'd like just for once to try puffer fish, right? As a sushi, I'm a huge sushi fan. And you know, puffer fish will kill you, right? It's very toxic. But you can have a little bit of it. But you're rolling the dice every time that you every time you do that, you're rolling the dice. People should have that opportunity. And people, you know, hey, but so they're smoking, they're drinking. They're eating bad food, they're doing drugs, they're doing things that they know is bad for them, but that, again, is their choice. You you can't shame me out of it, Rusty. You're not going to change my position on it just because you want to squeak about it. Great. Yes, I know, people have been injured. People have died from taking the vaccine. The VERS report proves it. I mean, that there's been, again, heart enlargement and many, all these other things, which I have talked about on this program, right? I Cardiomyopathy. I mean, I've talked about the results of what's been going on right out of the CDC's website. And then yet I will, yes, still tell people it's your choice. You can do what you want to do. So, I mean... What, am I going to have the government come down and say you can't do anything? That's not my way. Wait till it's something that you want people to do or don't want people to do. I'm sure you're, you know, you know, Rusty, you'll probably be clapping to this. Oh, get the government involved in that. There's plenty of evidence as to why or why you should or should not take the vaccine. I am not going to be the, the arbiter of that. People can make their own decisions. That's called being an adult. And that's what I'd like to encourage. It's just more adult behavior. All right. Uh, 30 seconds out. Like and share this video. If you're on YouTube and I see, I saw uh, Jimmy and I saw um, Jack was out there and a couple other folks. Good morning to you folks on YouTube. Please hit the subscribe button and ring the bell. Uh, And then, uh, of course, you can... uh, you can uh, uh, like and follow the show page as well to make sure you get it. Let's uh, let's jump back into it. Here we go. G-Man's on the line. We're going to start with him, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
All right. Welcome back to the program. We're continuing now. One final segment before we go to the top of the hour here. We're taking some phone calls on the Pivotel call-in line. 433-3150-433-3150. G-Man is on the line from Fairbanks. He's been holding for a bit. Let's get over to him and see what he has to say. Good morning, sir. What's on your mind? Good morning. Um, So first of all, we have to uh, establish that this is not an approved vaccination. It is, it has not been approved. You cannot get an approved vaccination in the United States. So now that that's established, the reason for that is once they approve it and sign off on it, any side effects, any death, anything that happens, the vaccination companies and and the hospitals and the people administering the so-called vaccination, I'd rather prefer to call it a experimental inoculation. Once they sign off on it and uh, and approve it as a vaccination, then they can be sued. So that's why they're not doing that. They didn't have clinical trials. Every other vaccination in the world has had three to five year clinical trials. They had three month clinical clinical trials and they released it as an emergency. So now that we know the 119 known side effects, including death, if you get the jab, chances of you of getting a side effect is pretty good, including death. It could ruin your life. The problem is, is now we're sticking the needle in our children. They don't have a say. Uh, an adult has the opportunity to say yes or no. The problem is, is they're not releasing information on the side effects. Um, they're not telling everybody what's going on with this thing. This is a bad thing. And the problem is, is the people are in fear and that's why they're going and getting the jab. Um, so anyway, that's just my little comment. If you want to find out more about all of this stuff, you can get totally educated on frankspeech.com. Mike Lindell's new platform. All right. Well, I appreciate it, G-Man. Thanks very much. Again, it still doesn't change my point of view, though. If people decide that they want to take the chance, and again, you're right, there are various side effects and various people are affected differently by it, and you are right, it's under emergency use authorization. I mean, it did not go through the official vaccine um you know, pathway that you would see a normal vaccine. And you're right. They also stipulated all the pharmaceutical companies made sure that there was a stipulation in there that they could not be held liable for any side effects or things that happened with that. I mean, you're right on all those things. But again, it doesn't change my position to say it there. I mean, there is evidence that it reduces the effect of the virus which, I mean, is, I think, you know, basically, if you actually listen to the wording of what they talked about when the when the vaccine first came out, that's what they said. I'll, I'll be honest with you. That was one of the first things that kind of threw me and threw me into the camp of not wanting to get it because they basically said right out front is that it didn't prevent you from getting it. It didn't prevent you from spreading it. It just reduced the symptoms. And because it was an unknown, the first type of widely distributed mRNA vaccine, I made the decision that I didn't think that that was enough of a benefit for me to spin the wheel on the unknown. 
But if it is for you, and there's plenty of people in my family who've gotten it, people, some of my best friends, people on the left and the right, people in the chat room, people, listeners to this show, they got it. That is their choice. And yes, make the most informed decision you can. But I'm not going to go out and tell somebody not to do it. I mean, unless they ask me and they say, what do I think? I'll tell them. But I'm not going to rant and rave and say, just don't do it. I mean, there could be some benefit. You could have reduced symptoms. You could also have any one of these, you know, myriad lists of uh, side effects that could affect you in the long term. There's been issues with, uh, I know, people with uh, uh, reproductive cycles and, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. But again, you are an adult and you can make your own decision. (sighs) Gasp. Really? Yes, yes, you, you, my friend, are an adult and can make. Now, as far as for the children, that happens all the time. Parents make decisions for their children all the time, which may or may not be in the long-term benefit of the children. They p- Parents make the best decisions they can with the information they have at hand, and they do it. Um, I mean, remember when they, uh, you know, I mean, you just do what you got to do. I remember when my daughter was, before my first daughter was born, the doctor said, um, she, you know, that, that they were concerned about her coming out. She was going to be premature. She did end up being premature. But they were talking about uh, giving, and I don't remember what the, what, the, what, the, what, the, what it was. There was a medication that my wife could receive and uh, the, the baby could receive in vitro that would help, uh, that would help the, uh, the uh, formation of her bones and her lungs and everything else. And but he said, but there are. He said the side effects long term are unknown. This could have an effect on things like teeth and, uh, you know. But it's a risk. It's a risk. And we rolled the dice and said, do it. We'll deal with the long term effects when they get here. Let's have a short term before we deal with the long term. So people do that all the time. People do that all the time. So it is what it is, my friend. People should, I mean, before they do something as life-altering as this, they should definitely get as much information as they can from every source, every viable source they can find. But in the end, it's an adult making a decision. That's what they, that's what they need. So that's, that's how it rolls around here. Uh, all right, uh, 433-3150-433-3150. If you want to sound off, we'd love to hear what you have to say here uh, in the final minutes of this segment. Uh, big news coming out of Fairbanks at the uh, February 1st meeting. So just a week ago, the Fairbanks North Star Borough School District passed a motion that's going to bring some big changes to the district starting this next school year. Uh, as we have talked about before, they are facing a multi-million dollar budget shortfall, something like $27, 28000000 million, if I recall correctly, this year. And in an effort to stem some of the bleeding, they have now voted in favor of closing two of the elementary schools, Joy and Anderson. Now, jo- I went to, actually went to Joy when I was a child. That's, that thing's been around for years. Um, great little school. Great little school. The motion is also going to repurpose Nordale Elementary and make it a uh, alternative learning program, e-learning, and it's going to be the place where they basically is the offices, I think, for the for the best uh, Fairbanks best homeschool, B-A- B-E-S-T. 
Now, a bunch of folks got up and all but one opposed the plan. And they're like, closing neighborhood schools is reckless and joy is my second home. And if the school closes, I won't be able to talk to my friends anymore. And, of course, they brought all the children out and everything else. But nobody wanted to address the issue that there is a 20-plus million dollar hole in the budget. And in the end, they had to vote. It was a split vote of four to three, seven-member school board. It was four to three to close the schools. And this is just the tip of the iceberg, folks. Just the tip of the iceberg because they don't know exactly how all the portions of the plan are going to be uh, implemented. And Fairbanks is suffering from a severe decline in enrollment numbers. And that, that revenue loss is just going to continue. School district officials have already said that it isn't the last cost-cutting measure that they will be discussing in the coming years. And so you can put a whole room full of people in there. They say, no, 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 keep it open. Not in my backyard, not my school. Well, then how do you propose to pay? I mean, how are you going to raise another 25 or $30 million in shortfalls to keep all these things open? Uh, I mean, it's, it, it's just nobody is talking about that. Our, um, I, I just, I, this is, this is just the beginning, my friends. And I mean, this could lead to deeper discussions on, you know, what the actual, uh, what the actual, uh, capacities are for some of these schools and how that number has been jangled around over the years. We've explored that and talked about that, how originally, um, uh, you know, schools were built for a, a larger capacity and then they, oh, they decide to, uh, they decide to reset the, uh, uh, they decide to reset the uh, 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 the per square student foot allotment. So a school that was built for 500 students can now only technically house 300. Some of these other things that have been going on to justify building more schools. And all of a sudden, they're caught with their pants down. They got more schools than they got students. And we're still paying bond issues on all these schools, right? Still paying for all these schools. Still, you know, we bonded them for 20 years or the the capital... Uh, capital repairs, they bonded for another 10, 15, 20 years. I remember when we tore down Nordale to begin with, they were still paid. We still paid on bonds for that school for another 10 years after it was torn down before they rebuilt it. It's going to happen. You better start planning for the long run right now, because I don't think you can tap into the taxpayer base. I'm still a borough taxpayer. I still have property there. I don't think you can tax into the borough taxpayer base anymore than where you're already at. I don't think you're going to be able to squeeze another $30 million out of the borough taxpayers to make that happen. So you best start making cuts. That's what's going to happen. All right. Uh, we got more coming up. Hour two dead ahead. In the next segment, Vance Jin, economist, is going to be talking with us about the Alaska Policy Forum's latest responsible budget. We'll be back with more. Hour two is dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio.
Right. We needed that $50 million mid-school and I think went over budget to $80 million, says Jimmy. I mean, yeah. I mean, again, remember they remember they tore down Nordale and they built a new Nordale. Like, right, you know, one, they tore it down in the middle and then they moved one over to the other side of the parking lot. And, I mean, we paid for another 10 years on the renovations and the repairs and the upgrades to the old school that wasn't even there anymore. No big deal. No big deal. Just you pay no attention to what's going on there. Vivian, uh, I think, has pretty much nailed it. We haven't had the student population to support all the schools for at least 10 years in Fairbanks. I remember when we first saw some of these schools, when they first built them out, and they had capacity. Several of the schools had capacity when they were designed. The design capacity was for over 400 children. And then somebody came back and said, oh, no, no, no. What we really need is, you know, the students need, uh, you know, Two more feet per student to be able to make it work. So we can't have the 458 students. Now we can only have 300. And that means we need another school. And the Associated General Contractors were over in the corner going, yeah, another school. Another 12, 14, 15, $20 million. We're all about that. We'll support that. Of course you will. But we saw that. We saw the capacity get 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 planed down through number jiggery. And then we needed more schools, and now all of a sudden it's going the other way. And nobody nobody is willing to uh, to look at it and say, um, maybe we should do something. I mean, what about selling the schools? What about selling the school buildings? Because, you know, I mean, the cost to, 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 to basically close, those, those schools still incur a cost, even though they're closed. Because uh, they had looked at that at one point um, when I was on the assembly uh, for one of the schools, they had talked about closing down a couple of the buildings and um, and you know what the cost would be to 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 do that. It's not um, it's not inexpensive to winterize a building, and even when it's winterized, it doesn't do. I mean, the the, the wear and tear on the buildings actually increases when you turn them cold. So anyway, I just. It's crazy. Yeah, not to mention the deferred maintenance. Ooh, baby. Fairbanks, you got some issues. Quarter of a billion dollars in deferred maintenance discovered under Carl Castle's reign when he started digging into that. And man, he was serious. I mean, I was served with, I served on the assembly with Carl. He's a pretty straight shooter. He and I didn't agree on a lot of different things because he was a lot more, you know, he's a, he was a lot more progressive or liberal than I was. But when he found that out, as the mayor, he was shocked. I mean, I I had a conversation with him, and he just the shock was like he was like, "Wow, quarter of a billion dollars in deferred maintenance." I said it was. I said it when I was on the assembly. There's a special place in hell for the person who thought up deferred maintenance. Should never have happened. Never, never have happened. All right. Uh, twenty-five million deferred maintenance again. No, 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 no. Quarter of a billion dollars in deferred maintenance, Christine. When Carl Castle first announced it, I believe the number was two hundred and eighty-four million dollars in deferred maintenance. Quarter of a billion dollar b billion dollars of deferred maintenance. Yeah. You just can't keep slapping that burden on the taxpayer and expecting, you know, and then defer everything. And all of a sudden they're like, well, what we need to do now really is we need to bond it. Okay. Wait a second. 
So you're going to indebt all of our properties for the next 20 years because you guys decided to spend money that should have gone to building maintenance and renovation on something else. That is, I mean, oof, that is it right there. All right. Well, let me get my, let me get my poop in a group here. I'm going to uh, give a call to, uh, going to give a call to our guest. See if we can get him uh, ready to go and on the phone and ready to rock and roll. And uh, we will get things kicked off here. We're about two minutes out. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Vance. This is Michael Dukes calling from the Michael Dukes show. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Are you ready for our uh, interview here? I am ready to go. Okay, good. We're about a minute and a half, two minutes out. And uh, um, I just hang out in my virtual green room, eating my virtual donuts and drinking my virtual coffee. It's all <laughs> it's all fat-free and calorie-free. Just make sure you leave me the crullers because those are my favorite. All right? Okay, perfect. <laughs> all right, you hold, hold the line and I'll be right back to you here in just a second. Vance uh, Jin is our guest. And we're going to talk about the Alaska Policy Forum's new a second annual Responsible Alaska Budget. And uh, we'll uh, we'll talk about that with Vance here in just a moment. Um, all right, folks, do me a favor. Uh, I guess I'll uh, go over there, look out here on YouTube. YouTube has got a few listeners. So if you're listening on YouTube, please make sure that you hit the subscribe button and ring the bell. If you're here on Facebook, please uh, make sure that you hit the like and follow. Uh, like and follow the show page and like and share this video as well. And if you're over on Twitch TV, man, we got so many. I'm going to add some more too here in the near future. But if you're on Twitch TV, you can follow us there as well. So, a couple of, you know, several different ways to participate in the program. It's going to be fun stuff. We're going to talk about that. Um, Anthony says, I'm going to try and have some deferred maintenance with my business to see how long it takes me to get a run, to get run out of town. I'm charging you four extra service calls just in case. I mean, really, Anthony, I mean, what other business could defer that maintenance long enough to make somebody else essentially pay for it? Yeah, buddy. $280 million in deferred maintenance for a town of 80,000 people? How does that, who even, how do you sleep at night with that kind of stuff? Oof, that just, that kills me. Here we go. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Every weekday morning, 6 to 9 a.m. on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Yeah, baby. Welcome back to the program. It is hour two of the Michael Dukes Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. 
Everybody hates me. It's what happens when you're a libertarian. Everybody hates you. The left hates you. The right hates you. You know what? That's okay. Broad shoulders. I can take it. But we're going to dive back down now into the state budgets, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. We brought an expert on the program to discuss it with us today. Joining us on the program is Vance Jin. He is the chief economist at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. He works to unlock poverty through relational inclusive changes and institutions that expand opportunities. He works in many policy areas uh, as well, and he is here today to discuss with us the uh, Alaskans, the Alaska Policy Forum's Responsible Alaska Budget. Oh, by the way, uh, Vince was also the Associate Director for the Economic Policy of the Office of Management and Budget in the White House during the Trump years. And so he brings some he brings some big-scale, large-scale, micro and macro expertise to us, and he joins us uh, on the program right now. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. Thanks for coming on board and joining us this morning. I appreciate that. Um, let's, um, let's talk for, uh, let's talk a little bit here about this, uh, about this, uh, responsible Alaskan budget to begin with. Alaska policy form has been working hard on these things in the background. We've had several conversations with them over the last year or so on some of the things that have been going on. Uh, but you've taken a look at this now and from your more, I guess, national type perspective, your, your broader, uh, macro perspective, what are your thoughts as you take a look at the responsible Alaskan budget for 2023? Well, you know, it's a pleasure with you this morning, first of all. And whenever I'm looking at this sort of budget, I've been working on these not only at, in Texas, where I'm based out of, but also across the nation at different state budgets. And then at the federal level, too, as you mentioned, I worked at the Trump White House for a year at the Office of Management and Budget. And it's, it's given me a lot of insight of seeing how different states do their budgets. And what I've thought about was, hey, look, let me work with the Alaska Policy Forum, who do some great work on these things already, and we put together this responsible Alaska budget. And what's interesting about this is, you know, since 2016, the budgets looked better in Alaska. Um, but if you go back to 2004 and really look over the last, you know, 18, almost 20-year period, the budget has grown by 5% on an annual basis, whereas something like population growth plus inflation, which is a good measure of the average taxpayer's ability to pay for government spending, um, was only 2.9%. So there's got to be something that starts to match these things up. And that's really what the responsible Alaska budget does, is it sets a maximum threshold for how much the budget should grow by in this next budget cycle, uh, which we have it as 4.77%. That's an increase of population growth plus inflation over the last year. Um, and that would bring it to a high, a maximum of $6.55 billion there in Alaska. You know, this has been part of the problem that we've talked about in this state for a long time is that if nothing else changes, if you just left everything as flat, the Alaska budget still grows by 150 to $180 million every year. If nothing else, I mean, all things being equal, nothing else changes, which doesn't seem like in a $6 billion budget, that's, you know, that's not. But when you look at it over a 10-year graph and you start looking it out, you realize Wow, we just added $1.5, $1.8 billion to the budget, and that's with nothing changing. And the problem is here in Alaska, and I don't know how far back you've looked at our budgets, and you just mentioned going back to 2004, but you could see here, I think, I mean, this is my opinion, and you could tell me as a a PhD economist, um, we have a real lack of vision in this state. We never seem to be able to see beyond the next, um, I guess, election cycle or even the next session we can't really we're not really thinking in long term and we're really refusing to accept the fact that we may be spending more than we uh, you know we, we are spending more than we take in but that we may have a spending problem instead of a revenue problem 
Well, <laughs> I think you hit the, net, the nail on the head. That's really what you have with any government. The way I see it is that you never have a revenue problem. It's always a spending problem because there's always more things that the government wants to spend money on. When too often what we really need is more money in the private sector. That's the pr- where production happens, productivity happens, more economic growth and job creation and all those things. You know, I was looking over some of the numbers in Alaska, and when you had the shutdown recession, which is what I call it from, two, from the February of 2020 to April 2020, there were 40,000 jobs lost. That was a 16.2% reduction in jobs there in Alaska. And even since then, um, you know, Alaska's down 5.8%. They've gained the, you know, a number of those jobs that are back, but you're still down about 14,000 from where from where you were back in February then. So, I mean, the unemployment rates come back down to 5.7%. And I bring up some of these numbers because many people in Alaska are hurting. You know, we don't, we don't need increase in government spending and crowding out of the productive private sector. What you really need is a more responsible, restrained sort of government spending that they looked at every dollar that's being spent. Right. Um, and so when we look at the responsible budget, it's really the maximum amount. It should really be less than that at the end of the day. Well, and let's talk about that for a second. You just mentioned, you know, money needs to be in the private economy. And, of course, the one lever that the this legislature and past legislatures over the last five, six years have done, the one lever that they've pulled is uh, is they've pulled a cut to the PFD, which is, you know, our permanent fund dividend, which is money that goes into the private economy. I mean, even ICER, our own Institute of Socioeconomic Research at the university, has said of all the things that you could do, this one had the most detrimental and harmful effect to Alaskan families and to the economy. But they continue to ignore that and they continue to just pull that lever time and time again, taking the money out of the private sector's hands. And again, funneling it into their favorite government program. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all about priorities. Where are the priorities from the, the leadership, government officials that are there? Um, where do you want those dollars to be to go that are going to be most effective? And, of course, that's the private sector. And what I hope that can be done with more responsible um, fiscal rules that are based on spending limits like population growth and inflation. And this is based on just, you know, state funds. We should look at the entire budget as well. But looking at just state funds that the legislature has the most control over, you know, where exactly should you be looking at? to make sure that's part of the priorities of the budget. And I think one of those has to be um, um, Alaskans, <laughs> just to right. the businesses and everyone right. else in the private sector. And if you leave them out of that thought process and you only consider, okay, how much do we spend on education, healthcare, and transportation, each one of those are important. But also, you, I think you should sit at the top of that, Alaskans, and too often we forget that. You know, I've talked about this in the past, and since you're the expert economist, you can you can back me up or disabuse me of my of my uh, of my thoughts here. But there's been lots of talk over the years about the number of turns in in uh, that a dollar can make in specific economies. You know, like when you put a dollar into the private sector, it will turn you know five, six, seven, eight times. And I don't know what the exact number is. You can probably lay it out for me. But I know that comparatively, when you spend that same dollar in the government economy, when you spend that in you know the, the government spends it, it only turns once or twice. Am I am I wrong? Give me give me some details here. Well, you're, you're, you're right in the sense that this is a multiplier effect. You're definitely going to have a larger multiplier in the private sector where you have dollars that are, you know, the one dollar is going to be spent that's going to go add to the business revenue and profitability potentially, or they could, they could translate that into higher wages, more jobs. And as you expand each one of the businesses, that then expands the overall economy. So you can have a multiplier effect there. Now, there's a Keynesian economic sort of view that says that you can – 
take one of these dollars through taxes and then you can redistribute it into the private sector called government spending in that each one of those dollars in government spending um, it works the same way as it does in the private sector to expanding jobs and wages and everything else the problem with that of course is that it looks at it doesn't take into account the the crowding out of the private sector that dollar that you took out and the redistribution of those funds that's not based on profitability or effectiveness but is based on basically politicians directing each one of those dollars and so what the research really shows is that it's probably around 0.7 to 0.8 is a multiplier meaning that each additional dollar the government's Spend, you actually get less than that dollar in economic activity because that's the effect of the crowding out. So we don't want as much government spending. In other words, you only need it on the constitutional roles that the government should be doing, and that's it. We're talking with Vance Jin, Ph.D. and Chief Economist at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. He's one of the co-authors of this report uh, for responsible Alaskan budgets. Um, again, you talked about how budgets in the past have been pretty much out of control uh, and you're proposing, the Alaska Policy Forum is proposing a new budget uh, of $6.55 billion, which is a 4.77% increase. Highlight for me some of the changes that you guys would uh, suggest. If there's legislators listening right now, where should we be looking at? Where, I mean, if we're going to cut into the increase, where do we, where do we make those cuts? Well, you know, that's one thing that's kind of interesting about this responsible budget approach is that it leaves out, so it provides this maximum that's there. And, and look, this isn't saying that they need to cut the budget. Uh, what it's saying is that the overall growth in the budget should not be more than 4.7% because that's what the average you know, person's ability to pay for it there across Alaska could have. And so what that means is that if, if health care needs to grow by something more than that amount, maybe 6 7%, then that means education, transportation, and other areas of the budget will need to grow by less than that. Um, I do think, and that we've talked about at the last policy forum, is you need to also be looking at a kind of a zero-based budgeting approach where you go through and you take a deep dive into each one of these areas of the budget and say, let's start at scratch, let's start at zero, and start building our way back up to make sure that each one of these dollars are, number one, needed, and number two, that the program is effective. If it's not effective, let's find, you know, cuts in those programs or move to another program um, overall. And so what I think what this really does, again, is to try to prioritize each and every, each and every dollar that the government is spending and making sure that the taxpayer is right at the top of that list because too often it, it, the taxpayers aren't. And so we really need to look, take a deeper dive into the budget as a whole um, there in Alaska. Does that mean, and just so that we can, uh, you know, dumb it down for those of us without the yeah. PhDs in economics, is that kind of like the zero-based budgeting? Is that what you're talking about? Accounting and, and qualifying for every dollar that gets spent? That's exactly right. Exactly right. And, and I think we do that in our normal budgets, right? Every month we go through and we say, okay, where am I spending too much? If I have... Um, if I don't have enough revenue for this, where can I start to cut? And so you start finding those areas that maybe you don't need as much. And right now what I'm seeing in, in, in Alaska, like I am in many other states, is that revenue is growing by leaps and bounds. And so you're going to have a lot of extra revenue. And then the question is, what do you do with it all? And I'm, I'm hopeful that there in Alaska you'll find ways to give people more money back in the pockets of people, back, back in the pockets of Alaskans. And so that can be able to create more jobs, more economic growth, and where you actually get a multiplier effect compared to just having the government spend each one of those dollars. You know, I'm looking at some of the graphs you guys put together, uh, trends in the Alaska state budget, and you're right. I mean, going back over the years, we could see how the budget has exploded and grown well beyond the population and inflation rate uh, over and over and over again. 
And, I mean, I like what you guys are laying out here as an idea. The problem that I see is this. I mean, you're saying this is a – the responsible budget is basically sets this appropriation limit at $6.55 billion, uh, a 4.77% increase. But you've got – I mean, you're basically asking the lunatics if they would like to not run the asylum at this point. Uh, I mean, these legislators have no interest in this. And, in fact, we've talked – there's been several discussions on spending cap limits and everything else – but they have shown a complete disdain. I mean, we can't even put one in statute because they ignore statute at their whim, and we can't seem to get the support for doing one constitutionally. What is to hold the legislators to this responsible budget limit? Well, it's a great point. Right now, there's not that sort of limitation that needs to be in there, and that's something that we're calling for is for this sort of responsible Alaska budget to be put into law and ultimately into the Constitution such that so that there will be restraints in place, effective restraints in place over time. Um, in, in Texas, it took us a while to do this. We've had a constitutional spending limit uh, since 1978, but then it, it really wasn't effective. It was, it was based on personal income growth, so it was very volatile. Um, and, in, and not until 2021, this past year, did we pass a more restrained sort of spending limit that's based on population growth and inflation. And they made it to where the to bust limit or to exceed the limit, you got to have a three-fifths vote instead of a simple majority vote like we had before. And so I think that that gives a good setup, a good framework to think about there in Alaska as well. And so what you could then do is say, okay, we've got this limitation in place. Now the extra revenue, let's find ways to get back to the people. You have already got a mechanism there in Alaska to, to you know, send checks out to people. That's one way to do that. Um, but also making sure that other taxes are low. Taxes on the oil and gas sector is low as well. And, and making sure that there are ways to diversify the economy as much as possible. That's one thing less that we learned here in Texas in the 1980s was that we moved away from oil and gas, not entirely, of course, but it went from about 25% of our economy down to 10% of our economy, and that allows us to weather a lot of these other storms that come from different national natural disasters or other economic situations. Uh, we're talking with Vance uh, Jin, uh, one of the economists who went to work on this uh, Alaskans' responsible budget for uh, the Alaska Policy Forum. Uh, I mean, this all sounds great, Vance. Uh, 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 but I got to tell you, Vance, I'm really concerned because, again, our politicians have shown no interest in restraint. The argument has been, and, and quite honestly, has been, I've been doing this show for over 20 years, and the argument has essentially remained the same, is that the they phrase it as what we really have here is a revenue problem. And like mm -hmm. you said, that seems to be a problem at every level of government. It's never a, It's never a spending problem. It's always a revenue problem. Okay. And they have yeah. used that argument long enough now that we really do have a revenue problem because we're spending more and we've committed to more and we have more programs and we have all these commitments to do it that now we're kind of we're kind of baked into that where we do have a revenue problem because we have overspent and they seem to have no desire to reduce that spending. That's right. Well, I, I agree with you. It is a concern of mine as well. And so it's something that I you know, I hope with, with a mechanism like this, this responsible, responsible Alaska budget, it can help give the public something to talk about, something that's a um, tangible budget item. Because $6 billion, I mean, most people don't have $6 billion in their pocket, right? <laughs> and right. so it's become this 
sort of thing where it's just another number that's out there. But what we're really trying to show is like, no, this is the way that you can start to rein in the budget overall and give something that they can as a good talking point for people to be making across Alaska when they're talking to their state officials or whomever else. And when you get this mindset, this the redefining of the narrative that it's a spending problem, not a revenue problem, then you can start making your path towards getting a stronger state spending limit, putting it in the Constitution and things of that nature. It doesn't happen overnight, but you've got to start somewhere. I remember, you know, Reagan said, if not now, when, and if not right. who. I think that's really where we got to get started right. with this process. Um, Vance, I want you to hold on the line for me, if you would, for just a second. We have to take a quick break, and then when we come back, I'm going to give you a chance. I have a couple more questions, and then I'm going to give you the summation on it. Uh, and we will finish things up. Vance Jin is our guest. He's an economist, uh, and he is one of the authors of this new Responsible Alaskan Budget from the Alaska Policy Forum. We're going to have more discussions on this in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show continues. You're on for Common Sense Radio. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Okay, we're in the break right now. Uh, Vance Jin is our guest. He's with us here. We're going to keep him for just a couple more minutes on the other side of the break. Uh, I want to talk just a little bit more about this and uh, and get into this. Uh, let me go back over here real quick um, and see if there's any comments in the chat room that are. Uh, Barbara says, the zero-based budgeting is what the Executive Budget Act is about. The problem is, is that incremental budgeting is used, and and that's that's been part of my problem for a long time, Vince is or Vance yeah. is that, uh, um, you know, when we look at this, it's really it's the way that we budget. I mean, we've talked mm-hmm. about doing zero based budgeting for a long time. We've talked about creating a budget where it's an average of, uh, you know, because our revenue is so uncertain from year to year based on the fact that it's through resource development, a big chunk of it. It's just now stabilizing because of the POMV from the market draw of the ERA. But for years, we were just kind of willy-nilly, and I, I think we need to be looking at you know a guidepost of, I had suggested that we do a five-year rolling average of our last five years of income to be able to budget based on that, and then if we needed to make changes as things went on, we could. But at least it would yeah. be closer than this pie-in-the-sky thing that we see. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you need something that's going to give you uh, a, a growth rate or at least a target to look at, you know, as, as a maximum instead of just like to your point, just saying, OK, let's just throw a number out <laughs> and go after that. I remember Sean Parnell at one point uh, when he was governor in the early teens, uh, basically he put he put out a projected budget or a proposed budget and it was based on oil at one hundred and fifteen dollars a barrel. Well, three months wow. prior oil had dropped to down into the 70s and the 80s, and there was just no way we were going to be able to hit that. But it was literally this this fiction. It was like a New York Times bestseller. This is what we just put together. It made no sense whatsoever. Yep, yep. And, and, and one thing we might want to hit on, too, is uh, just the inflation. I mean, with inflation running so hot right now, that's going to bring in a lot more revenue than otherwise. To your point, oil and, oil and gas, things of that nature, that you can't live on that very long. It's going to go away. No, I mean, they're even saying right now that the rise in oil and gas uh, is only a short-term fix. It's only a short-term bump. They're treating it as if, yeah. oh, look, we've got all this money that we have floating around. We need to do something different with it. And, of course, that's always been the problem is that they always found ways to spend any excess money that came. The only time they didn't is when we had so much money, gobs of money, 
when oil was at $150 a barrel, they were able to squirrel a lot of that away into the constitutional budget reserve. And they, of course, have now spent all of those billions of dollars that they were able to mm. squirrel away. And, I mean, that's 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 part of the problem is usually there's nothing left over. The well is dry. That's kind of the whole point. Yep. Yep, exactly. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, – well, I, we'll do this when we return to the radio – uh, but okay. I mean, I want to talk a little bit about you know what are your hopes for this? I mean, are, are you hoping that they could they could pick this up and and utilize it as a framework? I mean, we just had yep. we just had a uh, and I don't know if you're familiar with this. Let me ask you this: are, are, Have you familiar with our working group, the fiscal policy working group that met in the legislature? Were you briefed on that when you were looking at this? I was not. No. Okay, so we just had a fiscal policy working group in the last legislature that basically brought some of the most disparate parts of the legislature philosophically together. We had progressives, we had moderates, we had conservatives. All of them came together in this fiscal policy working group, and they said they they looked at all these things. And this group came back with a unanimous recommendation, which, I mean, is you know kind of unheard of. I mean, these are people that you know you wouldn't see normally sitting around having coffee together, but they came back with a unanimous recommendation that we needed to tackle all of these things holistically, including the permanent fund dividend and the government spend and everything else. And I mean, it was a pretty great, I mean, it was a pretty great recommendation when it was all said and done, yet neither body of the legislature took up anything that came out of these guys wasted, you know, hundred hours, 90 hours, a hundred hours. Neither one of these people or, or neither one of these bodies took this up at all. And that's part of the problem. Wow. They're just ignoring wow. these recommendations from both sides of the aisle. And I, I just find it frustrating. So I'll let you comment on that when we get back. Uh, and we'll talk about where you hope this thing goes here uh, from here. We got to go. Uh, we're about to jump back into it. We're 20 seconds out. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Please like and share this video. Like and follow the show page if you're on YouTube, if you're on uh or if you're on Facebook, if you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and ring the bell. Here we go. All right, we're continuing now. Our guest is Vance Jin, who is a PhD economist uh, with the Texas Policy Foundation. He's also one of the authors of this new um, uh, this new uh, responsible annual budget report from the Alaska Policy Forum. And I got a couple questions uh, to start off with before we uh, go any further. I was just talking with Vance about part of our problem, and I explained to him the whole issue with the Fiscal Policy Working Group and how they all came together. They created a unanimous decision, and yet neither body of the legislature deigned to even have them come up and give like the full report or come out or take in any of the things that were brought up during this, Vance. I mean, this is, I mean, this is really it's a politician problem. Well, that's right. I mean, you know, you can come up with a lot of good ideas on paper and you can have a lot of meetings, but at the end of the day, you've got to actually implement them. <laughs> right. And, and too, too often what we do see is that politicians will just overlook them, kind of push them to the side. And, you know, it's one of the concerns that I have and many people have of just doing studies and things of that nature. Um, you know, with something like the Responsible Alaska Budget, what we try to do is give something that's tangible, 
something that is simple in many ways to say, look, this is a good step in the right direction until we can get more, you know, a, a legal a law that's passed in, that's passed in the law. And right. then, and then a, and a constitutional spending limit as well. But let's start heading in that direction. And I think if we can start changing this mindset that, of course, as we talked about earlier, that spending is the problem, not revenue, then we can get into a better situation with the budget. The governor has proposed a budget uh, currently, his proposed budget, is less than the $6.55 billion that you guys have put forward in the RAB, the Responsible Alaskan Budget. So how is the $6.55 billion going to be limiting in the if, if the governor's already proposing something that's less? Well, you know, it, it, we're, we're glad to see what the governor has proposed is below it. But, but, of course, now we have a legislature that's going to have um, uh, take a look at the budget and how much money they want to put in there. So we need to make sure that it's sustained over that period of time. And, of course, what we write in this Responsible Alaska budget paper is that, look, this is a maximum. Really what the state should be doing is um, growing, spending less than this, if not even finding places to cut the budget overall. Because if you look going back um, to 2004, you know, and you, and you, you compare the actual budget with population growth and inflation, if it had matched population growth and inflation to, since 2004. And what you find is that the um, justice annual budget, this current budget, they're spending $733 more per Alaskan than what they otherwise would. And for a family of four, <clears throat> that's about $3,000 more that they're spending than uh, if they just matched population growth and inflation over that period. So we're glad to see the governor's budget is below that. We need to make sure the legislature maintains that. But with the understanding that there are still spending problems that need to be accounted for from the past so they could be in a better situation for families across Alaska moving forward with more money in their pocket. Well, and not only that, if they had retained that line of staying on the appropriations following the population and inflation growth, we wouldn't have dug into and spent $16 billion out of our uh, CBR. We wouldn't have taken the permanent fund dividend check over the last five years from Alaskans. I mean, all that money would still be in there, and we'd be really in good shape. But again, that comes back to my problem of politicians not willing to answer the question, uh, what is the problem? I mean, that's really the thing. They're in denial. They're just basically, it's like, you know, you got the alcoholic in the liquor store and they're like, oh, we got all these choices. We don't know what to do. How about you step out of the store? No, we couldn't, couldn't possibly do that. Um, so let me let me ask you this, Vance. What is your hope uh, in looking at this? And of course, we've got the we've got the the link up in the chat room for folks to go read the uh, report from uh, from the Alaska Policy Forum. But what is your hope here? Is your hope that the legislators will take a look at this read and somehow have their minds be changed by this or that they will use it as a yardstick? What What is your hope on this? Well, I, I think we have two um, hopes for this. One is to um, better educate, help the public understand more about what's going on with the budget and what it looks like over time so that they can have more tools at their disposal to reach out to their legislators and say, hey, look, here's some of the concerns that I have with the budget that's going on. And then number two, of course, is to um, not only just write a paper and be a think tank, but really be do tank to where we are changing um, the legislators sort of view of where, it's, again, it's a spending problem. And so how do we attack that? Well, we put in place good fiscal rules that, that allow for spending limits 
to be a maximum and that we uh, uh, make sure that every dollar is being spent wisely, going back to the zero-based budgeting that we talked about before, the program-based budgeting. So that way, if you have a zero-based budgeting, you're breaking everything down by going down to zero dollars per program, and you're building your way back up to see what should work, but also doing it by program, so that way you can make sure you can map out and see whether programs are working or not. And whenever you have those, that sort of double um, approach here, two-step approach of having the public better understand the budget process, and then number two, giving legislatures a better tool to better, you know, to look at how to restrain spending, I think Alaska can get into a better situation. And that's what we've seen in other states. You show proof of concept, and then you get other, and then you get the process working and move, move it into law. So I would assume that if you're saying zero base and breaking it down, I'm assuming you're also talking about breaking down like the locked in spending formulas and some of those other things. They all need to be revisited because they would be based on a zero budget, you know, zero, uh, zero dollar budget. And so they would all have to be justified. So those formulas would all be opened up as well. Is that correct? That's right. That's exactly right. And then you can start looking in there and saying, okay, well, we need a tweak here. We need a tweak there. And then at the end of the day, you can get below this maximum growth rate uh, and maybe even find ways you know, to cut. That way, you, that way the, the Alaskans do have more money in their pocket. Do you hope that this, uh, this responsible Alaskan budget could be used? I mean, you just mentioned that it's been done in Texas. Um, and did they pass, was it a constitutional amendment that they passed to the state constitution to do it? Or are they relying on a statute? And the only reason I'm asking that again is because the legislature here has shown a complete disregard for statutory law backed up by a Supreme court decision saying they can basically do whatever the hell they want. Um, but is your hope that this be used as a template for a constitutional, uh, spending limit or, uh, uh, you know, what, what is your hope here? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's the uh, <laughs> that's the prize. That's the ultimate goal is to get this change in the Constitution. Um, if you can't get it there, then changing and say law would be a good step in the right direction. In Texas, what we did is we have a constitutional spending limit that's then defined by in state law. So we were able to just change it in state law as population growth and inflation instead of personal income growth, and then that will still have the backing of the Constitution. I'd like for it to be all in the Constitution, because then you need a two-thirds vote. But even in state law, we change it to a three-fifths vote. So we're really close to having that two-thirds supermajority needed to exceed the spending limit anyway. So, um, you know, same thing, I think, with, with Alaska. Let's start, you know, and here in Texas, just real quick, is we started this back in 2015. We have a biennial legislature or budget process here. Right. So that's only, that would took four sessions, eight years before we were able to get this into law. And that's in a bright red state like Texas with a lot of fiscal conservatism that goes on. Um, I like for them to be spending less than they do now, but but we're moving in the right direction. And finally, we're able to get into state law. So I think what you do is you start, you get the process going, you start to make education campaign like, like we're trying to do here. Uh, thank, thank you for having us on the show. And then we can start to make changes in the legislature as well with new state law and hopefully putting in the Constitution. That would really be the, the gold standard, if you will. Well, and I will say, you know, we do have a spending cap in our Constitution, but like Texas, yep. it has become basically uh, impotent at this point because it doesn't really affect it. Uh, and I, I fear that even if we tried to make changes statutorily to the definition of what's going on in the Constitution, they would choose to ignore that as well. So I think we may have a little bit of a heavier lift than you did in Texas, but I think that it's a good I think it's a good start. I mean, we definitely need a spending limit, a spending cap, as it were, on state spending. That's the only thing that's going to hold the size and growth of government down and force them to turn around and look back and see what the issue is, which, of course, is a spending issue. 
That's the only yeah. thing that's going to cause them to do that. Otherwise, it will always be a revenue issue. I'll give you your final thoughts here, uh, Vance. You get the you get the floor here for the last minute. Well, thank you. I think you hit the nail on the head there again uh, by really looking at this as a spending problem, and it's one that I think you know Alaska can really deal with. Um, you know, since 2016, there has been some improvement. Uh, within the budget, but you have to go further back. You can't just look over a couple of years because you've got to get back to where you should have been, if you will, before that, because there was a lot of excess spending during the early years. You know, from 2004 to 2015, the average annual budget there was 12% compared to population inflation of 3.1%. So it's going to take some time to return to a good sound budgeting and spending that's there so that way more money stays in the private sector and i think if you do that there are more ways to let people prosper and really flourish within alaska for families and for businesses and you know sure the government's going to have the needs for spending in certain areas but too often it becomes more of want than needs and just like in our personal budget we've really got to look at our needs first and then if there's excess money well then you start to look at tax cuts and things like that at the at the at the state level, so um, I hope this gets gets y'all you know Alaska back on track with good sound budgeting, um, and we're going to keep on it here at the Alaska Policy Forum. Well, I hope so. Uh, like I said, it's never been a shortage of good ideas. It's never been a shortage of good sound ideas. The issue has always been is that the policymakers are just not listening to us. You know, I mean, like I said, back in 20, uh, 2015, 2016, I remember saying if we could just hold to that $4 billion budget level and have people commit to it, we could create a sustainable budget. And they went right beyond it. That was not me. That was ICER saying that. So when they quit mm-hmm. listening to the experts, that's part of the problem for sure. Uh, Vance, thank you so much for coming on board. We appreciate you being part of it today. Thank you so much. Have a good day. All right, folks, we're out of time. We got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll be back with more. Your phone call's up next. We're going to open up the phone lines at 433-3150, the Pivotel call-in line. For your thoughts on this, The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. suppository the michael duke show okay we're in the break right now um i mean i i like everything he had to say um uh, i like everything he had to say uh the problem is of course that um we've got politicians who just aren't aren't listening right i mean that's part of the problem that they're just not listening to anything that is being said by anybody other than those that, um, you know, that tell them what they want to hear, I think, essentially. It's, um, uh, it's, it's crazy. Um, all right, let me look here. Uh, what are Alaskans needs outside of what is constitutionally mandated? I mean, that's a question that I've been asking for a long time. I mean, what? Why, you know, it's the difference between must-haves and nice-to-haves. This state has been inundated by nice-to-haves. And I don't know if you've seen this. Did you see this chart? If anybody followed the link there and took a look at it, take a look at this. Uh, uh, let's see. Can I do it here? Sorry, I got I got too many, too many things going on here. 
Uh, right there. Is that right? Figure three, RV, right? Can you guys see this? No, you can't see it. I don't know why. Uh, let me see if I can. One more. One more. One more. Nope. Nope. Too many windows. Too many windows. Let me try this one more time. Uh, uh, window cache. There we go. Um, let's try that. Does that work? Maybe. There you go. There you go. <clears throat> so take a, I mean, just look at this, look at this chart right here. Just so you can see this chart. So, I mean, this, the blue line is the appropriations. If they had been following the, just the population growth and inflation starting out back in 2004 at $3.5 billion and going up and up and up and up and up and up and up. So, I mean, even today, it would be at $5.7 billion, just allowing for population growth and inflation. The red line is what they actually spent. Should have been $4 billion, it was $7 billion. Should have been $4.5, it was $6.4. Should have been $4.7, it was $9 billion. Instead of $4.8, it should have been, it was $10.5 billion. I mean, this is not right. Again, back here in 2013, they were saying if we could only keep that budget down around $4 billion, we'd be okay. Nobody listened. Nobody listened. And nobody continues to listening. Now, what's funny is that if you drug that, if you drug that chart all the way back to 1969, you'd see that the first budget that we had was 160 million that was a state budget 160 million dollars and where are we at today we got a, we had a, almost a billion dollar payment that year and they went through it like drunken sailors which is actually quite insulting to drunken sailors at that point they they went through it so fast i'm not even going to say cuz that's insulting to drunken sailors but this is this is the problem we've had from the very beginning. Again, remember, <laughs> oh, poor, poor, pitiful children. We know better than you how you should spend your money. Oh, just trust us. We know what we're doing. Oh, uh, we know what we're doing. We really don't get quick draw money from the ER. No, the CBR. Don't drain it out. Oh, no. Don't. We know exactly what they're doing. Uh, this is, I mean, again, this is just not surprising to me because I think, again, I'm, I'm just going to go back. I think that, um, I think that, uh, Barbara had it right on the head. It doesn't matter who, you know, it, this issue is not a, is not whether we have a new economist in the batch. It is our policymakers actually listening to them. And the answer is no. Again, ICER saying the most detrimental thing you could do is cut the permanent fund. And what did they do? Well, they cut it. And they cut it for the next six years. I mean, <laughs> oh, Lord. All right. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> They're focused on the next election. And when they overspend, they can tell... Low info voters, look what I brought to you. Well, that's always what it is, right? 
That's always what it is. What what have I done? What have you done for me lately? Look at all the bacon I brought back to your district. Look at what I've done. But I'm a fiscal conservative, and I fought the governor on cutting the program that was important to me. But I'm going to cut everybody else's stuff. And, of course, it never happens that way. It never happens that way. <laughs> it's just like drunken monkeys. Yeah, drunken monkeys, Angie. There you go. I'm going to borrow it. I'm going to borrow that from Bert Stedman. Drunken monkeys. That's what it's about. That was just BS. I'm sorry, Bert. I didn't mean to say that. It's just Drunken monkeys. <sighs> Money is a hell of a drug. Um. All right. Sorry. Like and share this. Like and share. Like and follow. Like and just do all the likes things, will you? Let's get more people involved in this. That's all we need is we just get a few more Alaskans involved in this. We'll know what we're doing. Here we go. All right, uh, continuing now. Thanks for joining us. Uh, hour two finishes up here. One final segment. Phone lines are open at 433-3150. If you'd like to call in, we'd love to hear from you. So one of the charts that really stuck out for me on this uh, responsible Alaska budget is a trends on Alaska budget. Now I can't show it to you over the radio, obviously, but it's just it's a it's a it's a it's a linear chart. It goes from left to right, starts at 2004 and goes to 2021, 22, and it basically says it's got two lines. The blue line, which is rising gradually, is basically the appropriations following just the population increase in inflation. And so we started out back in 2004, 2005 at about $3.5 billion. And if we had uh, stayed on that line of appropriations following the population and inflation, we would be today at about $5.7 billion. Instead, we're at 6.3. Now, that doesn't tell the whole story because about 10 years ago, say, oh, I guess seven, eight years ago, when we should have been spending about $4.8 billion if we had followed the, again, appropriations following population and inflation growth, instead of spending $4.8 billion, we spent $10.4 billion. And back in 2013, instead of spending 4.7, we spent nine. And back in 2009, instead of $4 billion, we spent $7 billion. And it just, it just goes like this all over the place. And this all goes back to what I was saying earlier, of the, the, again, the politician's disease of we know better than you, you poor, helpless children. We know better than you how to spend your money. We, should, we are the ones that are anointed from on high with the insight and the wisdom to do this for you. So please shut up and sit down while the grown-ups talk over here of good things and important things. 
you should just sit down and be quiet while your betters deal with this. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. I just don't fathom it. Yes, I know. I know it's so hard. The greedy little people wanting their PFD. Don't they know that we are better suited than them? And how dare we? How dare we interrupt? How dare we make them? How dare we fight them? Do you not know how hard we work here? This is day, I don't know what the heck day it is, Madam President. It's day a lot. And we're all tired. And it is time to get a new perspective. This fishbowl and air is very stale. My clothes, I'm so sick of them, I don't want to wear them anymore. Oh, the new perspective. If you would only get the new perspective, then everyone could have new clothes. Everyone could have new clothes. That was just BS. I'm sorry, that's not allowed around here. We know better than you. (laughs) We know better than... Oh, my Lord. This is, I mean, this is what we're facing. I mean, all the stuff that Vance just put up there, everything else we've worked on. I mean, it's all great. It's all well. It's all fantastic, except nobody's listening. Nobody. Back to the phones. Over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Morning. This is Bubba calling from North Pole. Good morning, sir. Anyhow, uh, did you hear what Joe Manson who I thought kind of a halfway intelligent guy, the way he's been voting. You hear what he did this weekend? Yeah, he endorsed Lisa Murkowski. Yeah. You know, them Democrats got to stick together. Yeah, exactly. Well, my first thought was, does that help her or hurt her? I mean, I don't even know at this point. She's already been banned by the Republican Party. She's been censured. She's been asked to step out. She's doing all these things. And so what does she do? She gets the endorsement from Joe. I mean, again, who Joe Manchin is a blue dog Democrat. But at the same time, is that the endorsement you want? Well, he's he's uh, came to the rescue a couple of times so far with his vote. So. It wasn't lockstep, so I thought, well, you know, there's some hope for this guy. Right, right. But uh, anyhow, Democrats supporting Democrats. (laughs) Thanks, Bubba. I appreciate it. Let's let's go over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hi, Mike. Jeff from Homer. Jeff. Just just barely got in my truck here, so I should talking about the PFD again. Um, you know, I, I, I get kind of disgusted because, you know, they, they're, they're still fighting over that, but nobody wants to look for ways to make revenue. And there's tons of them here in the state, literally, you know, and to fix things differently so that we make more money. Things like, why aren't we, you know, giving some of that land out for the PFD or, in, in, you know, give the people something to pay taxes on? You know what I mean? Uh, there's plenty of things to do. You know, you talk about, four wheels on the road. No, everybody has a fit. Well, there's great revenue in it. You know, three places here in Homer sell them, you know, but they don't sell that many because you can't go anywhere with them, you know? And it, it's just crazy to me that, that a lot of the people want to get this done. I talk to people every day and tell them these things and they say, oh, I vote for you for governor in a minute. And I said, oh, I won't run, <laughs> number one. And uh, I, I got better things to do, but it's, it's. Uh, I, I hate to say that, but it's, the way they operate down there, it's like like you said, they, they know better. They don't know better. Why yeah. are they fighting over something that isn't theirs? Stop it, I say. 
Yeah. Go find some ways to make revenue in this state. There's plenty of them. You know, you guys were talking about the, the, the new deep water docks and stuff like that down the road, you know, and then you hear them say, well, I'm afraid if we get all this oil money now, uh, then we won't have any money to pay when it goes low again. Make some revenue. Get some things going here. Well, you know, put more uh, people back to work. Give them an incentive to go to work. The problem with that, Jeff, oh. is that I think you're giving into the argument that what they they don't have a spending problem; they have a revenue problem. Uh, I mean, what they have is a spending problem. I mean, there wouldn't be a need to search out new revenues if we were living within our means. Again, going back to that to that chart I was just talking about. If you look at it, I mean, if we had stayed the course on keeping our state budgets in line with what population growth and inflation was, we would not only have not overspent in 2015 and 2012 and 20 all the way back to 2007, we wouldn't have overspent. Not only would we have all of those dollars back, but we'd have the $16 billion that was in the Constitutional Budget Reserve. But you, you still you still got to get more things going. People, there's going to be more people. There's going to be you know, more population. We need more revenue, but we need also to curb the spending. But good luck with that, because that just doesn't seem to happen. I mean, you can put all kinds of people in there, and in two years, they're right in the same run as everybody else. Well, all this money we got. The problem is if we get you know, new, if we get thing, the problem is if we get new revenue without controlling the spending, all of that revenue will be consumed, and they'll still be looking for more. The problem is still on the spending side. That's the problem. Well, I know, I know, but that's that's the thing. I mean, it's it's uh, you're not. Uh, you're not going to have many Paula Pages. I mean, he was the most uh, fiscally responsible governor two years in a row in the United States these last two years. And it was all because we did get revenue going, and then we kind of curbed a lot of it and we changed a lot of people out in the mid midterms, and, and, and we wound up with rainy day funds, and then the Democrats swept in, took over, and that was gone in 100 days, you know? Yeah. So there's, uh, you know, the trouble is, is you can build it, but the next bunch that comes in, We'll just take it and spend it anyways. Yeah, so you, you, you can't, my, my, my problem with it is everybody has short-term memory. You know, once this is all over and things are back to normal, if it ever gets there, um, heck, you know, they're going to forget about it. They right. forget about it fairly quickly. You know what I mean? You know, can you name all the things that Biden done wrong last right. year? You know, not many people can't want to, you know. All right, Jeff. Well, hey, I appreciate your call. Thanks for sounding off and joining us. Folks, we're running out of time here. I do want to remind you that, of course, one of our new sponsors on the show is Bivy. If you haven't checked out the Bivy stick, it is one of the most feature-rich short-burst devices available in the market. It's essentially a little magical device that turns your cell phone into a satellite communicator. You could send texts, you could send emails, you can get the weather, you could ping your location and pin down and let people know where you are. Uh, and affordable, $199 is all it costs. And you can get plans for as low as 14 bucks a month. Like I said, I'm getting one for my wife for her to throw in her glove box in case something happens. She could turn that on, connect it to her cell phone, and send me a text to let me know where she's at and let me know She's okay. It acts just like a, a a satellite phone kind of thing. I mean, anywhere you could see the sky, it connects. And there's no uh, there's no uh, uh, you know worldwide connectivity. There is no activation fees. You get rollovers for your unused credits. Uh, you get uh, I mean, it's just everything. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you're a hunter or fisher or snow machiner or a doctor or tow truck driver, Avon lady or soccer mom. 
You need one of these devices for you. You can find out more by going to SatelliteWest.com slash Bivy. Or see one of the local dealers, Arctic Fire in Fairbanks, South Central Radar on the Spit in Homer, Safe and Sound in Wasilla, Anchorage and Soldatna, Communications North in Seward, and Lenny Marine in Dutch Harbor. All right, folks. We're out of time for today. Tomorrow, Brad Keithley, Chris Story. I look forward to seeing you then. The Michael Duke Show. Be kind to one another. Love one another. Live well. We'll see you then. Well, I got to say, I I mean, the problem here is the politicians. You know, the problem is we need a full PFD because that money needs to go back into the economy. We need to control our spending. But we got a bunch of loons in there that basically will, I mean, they just will not acknowledge that that's the problem, that the spending is the problem. How do we fix it? Well, we, we change the players for sure. Maybe it is constitutional convention time. I don't know. But something's got to change. Thanks for coming in, folks. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio.
shed our terrestrial radio skin. And now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.